you know, I, and I take time. Uh, the name of Jesus was accentuated in worship this morning, and I don't know that we quite understand the power there. When I say that I speak Jesus over my life, would you repeat that? I speak Jesus over my life. I speak Jesus over my family. I speak Jesus over my friends. I speak Jesus over my job. I speak Jesus over my past. I speak Jesus over my sin. <laughs> that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And I don't know about you, but as long as I have breath left in my body, I will proclaim the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the worship that came forth. I thank you for the men and the women that have given their talents for you to be able to lead us into your presence. And God, in spite of my inadequacies, I give you myself this morning, and I just ask that you would use me for your glory to speak your word, a timely word in this hour to your people. Father, we open up our hearts right now. We open up our uh, eyes to see what you want us to see. We open up our hands to take hold of what you want us to take hold of. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Communication is pretty important to me. Someone sent me this email. I thought it would be interesting to start off with. Uh, there was an older couple, and they were celebrating a, a timely anniversary. They lived up in Chicago, and they decided they wanted to go down to Florida where there was some warmer weather and celebrate their anniversary. So the husband goes first to Florida, and he checks everything in, gets it all set up for when his wife shows up. And he checks into his hotel, and he walks into his room, and there's a computer there. He discovered that they're putting computers into the rooms there so that you can send emails to your loved ones. So he types up an email for his wife, and uh, he sends it. Now, how many of you here have ever typed up an email and missed one letter in the address and sent it to the wrong person? So he does this. In the meantime, there's a, a lady in Houston that she just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was an old Baptist pastor that God called to glory early on because he had a heart attack suddenly, and he died, and she goes to his funeral, comes home expecting to see well wishes and emails of condolences, and she pulls up the first email, and she reads it, and she screams and falls over and faints. Her son runs into the room, he sees her, and he looks on the screen, and this is what the email said. To my loving wife, I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here, and we're allowed to send emails to loved ones. <laughs> I've just arrived and got all checked in. The place is really nice, but I'm lonely here. So I've made necessary arrangements for your arrival tomorrow. I can't wait to see you. I hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. I hope I communicate a little better than that. Well, you guys have been in a series called Timeless Truth. And I want to continue on and do my part in that series. You know, culture changes, but 
God and his kingdom, they do not change. In fact, God's kingdom can change culture, right? So I want to talk to you about, I'm going to go to the New Testament. I know Pastor Matt has been in the Old Testament doing an amazing job bringing in some of the minor prophets. Uh, I want to go to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Because we see a lot of culture here, and we see what happens when the kingdom enters their culture in that process. So John chapter 4, and by the way, the, the Gospel of John is my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, if, you, if you ever get a chance to really study this, you know, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels. They're, they're entitled the Synoptic Gospels, meaning they tell the same story of Jesus' life. After they were written, John read them and came back and said, I want to write something that's totally different. And he says in John 21, I write these things so that you may believe that he is Jesus. He puts seven miracles in his gospel. He puts seven I am statements in his gospel. All of these things wrap up and come together. And there are many, many miracles in the book of John that aren't in anywhere else. You know, Lazarus, Lazarus raised from the dead. All kinds of things, the, the turning the water into wine, are in John that aren't in anything else. So I encourage you to read that book. But we're going to go to John chapter 4. And I want to set this up. I want us to think about we're going to a movie theater. And we're going to see a, just a, a brief movie uh, of this woman at the well. Have you ever, any you guys watched Chosen? And maybe you've seen this. Okay, that one's better than this one because I'm doing this one. But it's going to be good. So you open up, and if you've ever seen a movie start, it would say sometimes it'll go three weeks ago to kind of set it up. So just before this scene, there's a woman in her house. And she's by herself, and over in the corner she has a water pot. And every time she looks at that water pot, it, it makes her realize she has to go back out into public and get water again. And for some reason, she does not like to do that. That water pot represents shame. It represents frustration. It represents all the things that she has in her past. And the last thing she wants to do is go outside into public. So she sees this every day. But today is another day. She has to get it. She actually waits until everyone else has gone to the watering hole, to the well, so that she can go by herself and hopefully she doesn't run into anyone. Okay, so there's the set there. Now, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples. They've been traveling for a day or so. And Jesus is, is a little tired. He sends his disciples away. I can only imagine why if he's been with them for that long. You know, you ever, you ever been there? Like, kids, you need to go away because I need to miss you. Right? So he sends his disciples into town. And Jesus sets down by this well in Samaria called Sychar. The, the, the town's called Sychar. And he sits here, and he's waiting for something else to take place. We know what he's waiting for. So that's the scene. I'm going to open up, guys, in verse 7, if you will. This is scene 1 as it opens up. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Give me a drink. Now, there's only Jesus and her at the well. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food because they were bugging Jesus. It doesn't say that in there, but... Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We're getting into culture. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jews thought they were high and above, much more, uh, just in a better class than the Samaritans were. Okay, And then a Jew would never talk to a Samaritan woman. 
And then you have a Samaritan woman that is by herself, not married. Jews would, would sometimes go all the way around Samaria so they didn't have to go through it. This is the culture. This woman is at the bottom ring of her, her culture and her community. And this man, this, this Jew, is talking to her, and it kind of uh, surprises her. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answers and says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Have you ever been talking to Jesus about one thing and then he decides he wants to talk to you about something else? He says, yeah, you're, you're interested in this. You want more money. You want this or that. But I'm more interested in, in this right here. In fact, the problem that you have here is actually connected to this down here. If you would just trust me and let's deal with this first. So Jesus kind of begins to change the conversation. Uh, if you knew who the man was that was in front of you right now, you wouldn't ask for the water in the well. You would ask for the living water that I can give you. She still doesn't understand. Verse 11, the woman says to him, Sir, come on, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water you're talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? She's still talking about water. Jesus answers and says to her, okay, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the well of the world will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the temptation that the world offers you, you will thirst again. Every sin that the enemy offers us is a counterfeit to meet a legitimate need that God has placed in our life. Okay? We have a legitimate need to be loved. We have a legitimate need to be accepted. We have a legitimate need to have a father, to have a family, to have a name. We have a legitimate need there. But the world comes along and says, I'll give you this so that you're somebody. If you'll do this, you'll be somebody. If you'll use my product, you'll be somebody. Fly our airlines and go on a vacation and you'll have peace. No. Uh-uh. The world is counterfeit. But there's something real that God's wanting to ask. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, verse 14. But whoever drinks of the fountain of water springing up into everlasting life that I am giving him, they're not going to be thirsty any longer. I'm pausing for dramatic effect. You'll stay with me. The woman says to him in verse 15, and I want you to get this. Because now she's kind of tapping into the conversation. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. Now get this. Nor come here to have to draw water. If you have something that you're talking about that would keep me from having to come to this well every single day, I'm imploring you, please give this to me. Because I cannot stand having to come here every day. This is the worst part of my day. This is the worst part of my life. This whole entire event accentuates everything about my past. If you've got something that would keep me from having to come here, well, by golly, I want it. Can you see the desperation in her voice? Jesus says to her, okay, you want to go down that road? Let's do it. And he changes the conversation again. <laughs> We're talking about giving her living water so that she didn't have to come to the well. And Jesus answers her and says, okay, let's do this. Go call your husband and come here. 
what does that have to do with the well and the water and all the stuff we were just talking about? Why do you bring my husband into this? Because he's always interested in what the real issue is in your life. And we're always really interested in the, the superficial, what we can see, how people view us. But he's interested in the heart of the matter. Go call your husband. Tell him to come here. Now, do you think Jesus knows what's going on here? And so when he says, okay, she, he, he, she's excited. Please give me this water. I want it. And he says, okay, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. You can see her countenance just drop because now she's entering in to the problems in her life. Jesus says to her, you have well said you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not even your husband. In that you spoke truly. Man, it's like, okay, I felt bad enough, Jesus, for you. And then you bring up all of this other stuff and, and, and heap this on me. But he's letting her know that he knows everything about her past. And he's not supposed to be talking to her, as culture says. Now he knows about all the sins of her life. He knows where she is economically in her culture, and he's still standing in front of her. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> well, I guess so. He just read her mail. And, and I, I think of this in some of the trials and tribulations in my life. You know what omniscient means? You know, God is omniscient. Omni meaning all, omniscient meaning science. He knows everything about your past. He knows everything about your present. He knows everything about your future. God knows everything. Jesus knew all about this before it happened. That's why he came to Samaria to meet with this woman right here. He knows where you are going to be in two years. Somebody needs to hear this. You're going through a difficult time right now. Your future looks a little cloudy. And you're wondering, man, what's going to happen? I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're fearful. You're, you're concerned. You know, and, and I'm here telling you that he's an omniscient God. He already knows. He's an omnipresent God, meaning he's everywhere all the time. You're not getting it yet, but you will, because I'm already preaching better than your amen. Now listen to this. He can't. <laughs> He can't travel the way you and I can travel. He can't think the way you and I can think. There's some things that God can't do. He can't think the way we think. Because if he could think of something that he hadn't thought of before, then that would mean he didn't know everything. But he can't think of something he hadn't thought of before because he knows everything. He, Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit and God have never had a conversation. And Jesus turns to the Holy Spirit and says, you know what just occurred to me? That's not going to happen. Because he knows everything. He's an omnipresent God. In other words, when we get through here, we're going to leave this place and go somewhere. We're going to either go home, we're going to go to a restaurant. Because while we're here, we're not there. God cannot do that because while he is here, he's already there. So the problem that you're concerned with and the fear and the worry that you're dealing with, right now, do you believe that, that the Holy Spirit is in this room right now? Do you believe God's presence is here? Okay, but he's not bound by time or space. So while he's here right now, he is literally two years in your future getting that place ready for you when you arrive. 
He's five years into your future, making sure that you're cared for when you arrive. See, it's so cool to take our fear of our future and then take the, the, the manifestation of God himself and put it on our future, and everything just fades away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim. We should write a song like that. It'd be good. So she says she has no husband. Jesus says, yeah, you, you're, you've said right. You've got a bunch of them. And the one you're with isn't even your husband. She believes he's a prophet. And she goes on now in verse 20 because she's picking up on, okay, we're not talking about living water any longer. We're not talking about liquid water any longer. Now you're getting into my personal life. And so she's going to jump all in and she's mad, basically. So this is what she says to him in verse 20. Okay, you want to go there? Well, well. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about where I am in life. Our fathers worship on this mountain. I can't go there because I'm an outcast in this culture. They don't want me there. I can't go there to worship. Oh, this is just so good. <laughs> and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. I can't go there because I'm not a Jew. I can't go here because I'm an outcast. I can't go there because I'm not a Jew. So what about me? What do I do with my stuff? What do I do with my past? What do I do with my pain? What do I do with my needs? What do I do with my fear of the future? Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. I love this from verse 23. But the hour is coming. No, no, no. It now is. In other words, it's changing right in front of you. The, the world, the culture, the kingdom of God has just shown up in your culture. And everything is changing right in front of you. Right now it's happening when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. And God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Here is a timeless truth. That now we don't have to go to that mountain to meet Jesus. We don't have to go to that temple to meet Jesus. This is what He's telling her. From this point on, I go where you go. We go together. And you're going to worship me in the truth of who I am as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the God of gods, and the truth of who you are as my child in my family. A sinner in need of a Savior. So, so many times, guys, we, we don't come before the Lord because we're, we're dirty. We, we know what we did. We know what we're thinking about. And it's like, man, God's just going to be so upset with me. He's going to be disappointed with me. And he's not going to want to have anything to do with me. I let him down again. I know how that feels. And everything inside of you, which is demonic, is telling you, you can't go before God like you're clean. But here, here's a woman that definitely isn't clean. And he's saying, just come in the truth of who you are right now. You are in need. I got saved when I was nine years old. But let me tell you something, guys. I still need saving every day. <laughs> I still need that grace and that mercy in my life every single day. And so do you. 
So we worship in the truth, and we worship in spirit. It's God's, God's spirit that bears witness with my spirit that I am his son. You are his daughter. We are in his family. Are you guys getting this? And so his spirit now lives inside of me, and everywhere I go, he's there. Oh, Lord, let us get that. Let us get this. So she trying to, to, to catch up with the conversation in verse 25, and she, the woman says to him, Yes, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. I understand all of that. I've heard the, the, uh, the folk tales. I, I've been told that things are going to happen, and when this Messiah shows up, I'm sure he's going to be a big man. I'm sure he's going to change everything, but today what do I do? And it's almost like you can see Jesus walk over, put his hands on her face and looks right into her soul and says, I who speak to you am he. Boom! I mean, (laughs) that right there is the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. At that moment, he says, the one you're talking about, I am he. The one you've been waiting for, I am he. The one that you've been longing for, the one that can take away your sins, I am standing in front of you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the alpha, the omega. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the doorway to everything that you need in life. I am the resurrection and life. I've overcome your sin. I've overcome your death. I've overcome guilt. I've overcome addictions. I've overcome frustration. I've overcome worry. I've overcome fear. I have overcome everything you brought into this auditorium this morning. I am he. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. (laughs) That name, that man is so powerful. I know a lot of you know, some of you may not. I was a Dallas police officer for 10 years. That was about nine years too long. But I did patrol for the first four years. And there was a particular man on my beat that was dealing drugs, and he was using the younger kids to do it. He was using like 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. And so when we would roll up there, he would never have the drugs on him. He would have them hold the drugs And so when somebody came by, he would take like one piece of crack cocaine and he would go give it to that person, take the money, put the money in his pocket, but they carried his drugs. So when we showed up, we could never arrest him. And so this was a particular Sunday. I hated working on Sundays. I would much rather have been, you know, in church. And I was by myself that day. So it's like, just just get, get through the day. Not a big deal. And I come around a corner and I see him and he sees me and he has that, that deer in the headlight look. You know, and as soon as I saw him, I knew he's in trouble. So I reached out, and sure enough, he had everything on him that I needed to arrest him. I was pretty excited. I'm telling you. I I laid hands on him and prayed for him, put him in my squad car. And and this was something that I've been trying to do for four months. Me and my partner have been trying to get, and I did it today by myself. And man, I am so pumped up. I'm on, on, way to the, on my way to jail, and he's sitting there beside me. And I called my wife. I said, "Honey, I finally got him. Here, tell her I caught you. you you're, you're mine." 
He's not saying anything. I turn up my music, you know, and I'm going along on my way to jail, and this is like one of the better days that I've had in a while. And as I'm just kind of gloating in my afterglow, I hear this voice that says, tell him about Jesus. <laughs> well, that ain't God, obviously, because he, if you can see who this guy was, that's not God. So I don't know what I'm hearing. I'll just turn the music up a little bit louder, right? A little bit further. Tell him about Jesus. Okay, God. Maybe the squad car lights are blocking your view, and you can't see who I have here in the squad car. This guy does not need to know about Jesus. He's far beyond that. How many of you know we're never beyond Jesus? But he's far beyond that. He does not need to hear about you. He needs to go to prison and do time for making me look bad. That's what needs to happen here. Tell him about Jesus. I've been walking with the Lord long enough that when he tells me to do something ten times... Eventually, I'll do it, okay? But can I be honest with you this morning? Hopefully, you won't judge me too bad. Uh, you, we drive into the jail, and you have to go uh, underground into a basement there. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm not very happy with, about it. I know how Jonah felt at that moment. I was, I was angry that God was asking me to do this. And so my attitude literally was this attitude. I threw the car up in park, pulled my keys out, threw them on the dash. I was so mad. I cannot believe, God, you're asking me to do this. Hey, you know who Jesus is? That's exactly how I said it. And as soon as I said the name Jesus, everything in him broke. He just fell over and just started weeping uncontrollably. I felt like the biggest idiot. I almost missed this opportunity. And I said, man, do you want to pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he just, yes. Right there in our squad car, he accepted Christ. He had to go to prison. Now listen to this. While he's in prison, he was writing me letters on a monthly basis, thanking me for helping him get set free. Yeah. Gets in there, starts a Bible study, does all kinds of crazy things in there for the glory of God. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Verse 27. At this point, Jesus has revealed himself to this woman. So at this point, the disciples come and they marveled that Jesus was talking to a woman. And yet no one said, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you seeking here? Or why are you talking with her, a Samaritan woman? You know, the, the, the disciples, they have to catch up a little bit every once in a while. Then the woman, when she sees the disciples show up, get this, get this, get this, get this. When she sees the disciples show up, she drops her water pot and runs away. What was the water pot? It was the shame. It was the guilt. It was the hurt. It represented everything that the world had put on her, and she just dropped it at the feet of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's good. I'm telling you. We have to do that. Scene one closes here as she runs away. But then we open up in, in scene two, which is a very short scene. 
But she went her way into the city and said to the men, verse 29, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Okay, please get this. This is a woman that calendared her entire life to make sure she avoided people. She came in the hottest part of the day, which was the most difficult time to carry water when it's in at noontime, and she's doing it so that she doesn't have to talk to people. And now she's running through the city screaming at everybody, you guys got to come get the water I just got. Come on. Was she changed? That scene closes. We come back to the to the well in scene three. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus says to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. <laughs> Therefore, the disciples, being dumb as they are, said to one another, Has anyone bought him any food or brought him anything to eat? Do you realize that when you tap into what God wants you to do, there's energy behind it? When you step into the ministry that God has for you in your life, there's, there's energy, there's, there's passion behind it. They left Jesus sitting by the well, exhausted, and they come back, and he's just changed a woman's life, and he's excited about it. But then Jesus goes on to give them this quick teaching. Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? In other words, he's, he has them out here in this field. Now look out in this field and look at it. Wouldn't you say it's about four months before it's time to harvest? And of course, they agree. They said, yes, yes. He says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. Did the fields they were looking at just change? When he says, look out here, isn't it four months? They said, yes. He says, lift up your eyes and look at this field because it is white unto harvest. When a harvest is white, that means you're about to lose it. So what was it that they were looking at? All of those people from that town running towards them. He says, lift up your eyes and look at the horizon. That field right there is ripe unto harvest. An entire city was changed because Jesus took the time to talk to her. Now, do you think she had an evangelistic gift? It's not a trick question. I mean, an entire town was turned upside down because of her testimony. There was so much response to it that Jesus had to stay there for three days and just deal with all of the, the, the people that were coming. Did she have an evangelistic gift? But she couldn't walk in it because the enemy still had her living in the past. So how many of you are not walking in your destiny that God has for you because the enemy still got you in your past? And God brings a Texas boy here this morning to say, come out of the past. Drop your water pot at the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and step into your destiny because God has things for you that you cannot even imagine. You can't even dream up what God has for you. And I, and I sense as soon as I said that, I got a resistance from many of you. Yeah, that's what they say. 
That's what God's saying to you right now. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, far beyond whatever you could ask, think up, or dream up, he has a plan for your life. But it's according to the power. It's according to how much you let God move into your life. Are you willing to drop the water pot? Are you willing to drop the past? Are you willing to drop the hurts and come into your destiny that God has for you? You guys probably know this, but sometimes a church will have what they call uh, testimony Sunday. You know, in, in old country churches, they'll put up a, a, a platform there and they'll say, anybody wants to testify about the goodness of God in their life, come on up and testify. So this, this old country pastor had done that this particular day and he opened up the, the pulpit for somebody to come testify. And there was a man in the middle of the auditorium and he was probably 85 to 90 years old and he kind of grabbed his Bible and started shuffling his way towards the front. He gets to the front and he notices there's some teenagers sitting on the front row, but he starts his testimony. He said, there's a father that decided to go fishing one day. And as he's about to leave go fishing, his son comes and says, can I go, Dad? And his son had a friend with him. Can we go fishing with you? And the dad says, sure, come on. So they get in the boat. They go off the gulf and start fishing. But it's not too long after they start this fishing excursion that he looks in the, in the distance and he sees this huge storm coming towards them. And he thinks, we're about to be in trouble. So he says, guys, bring your fishing rods in. we got to get out of here. And as he begins to turn the boat around, as he turns the boat sideways, a big wave comes over the bow of the boat and washes both of the boys overboard. As the old man's telling his testimony, he, he's watched the teenagers on the front row. They've been kind of cutting up and things, but they start listening to him a little bit more. He says the father looks into the boat, and he's looking around for his son, and he sees his son come up over here on this side of the boat. Then all of a sudden, he hears and sees his son's friend come up on this side of the boat. And he looks around, and he has one lifeline in the boat. He knows his son's saved. He doesn't know whether his son's friend is saved. He takes the rope and he begins to swing it and he cries out, I love you, son, and he throws the rope to his son's friend. He catches the rope, he pulls him into the boat, and he turns around to throw the rope to his son just in time to see his son go down for the last time. The old man says, so is the father's love for us. He shuffles back and sits back down in his chair. The service is dismissed. Teenage boys, they make their way over to him and they say, Sir, we, we enjoyed your story, but, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that a father would really do that. The old man looks up at him and says, Well, that's what God's done for us. He sacrificed his son so that we could live. The boys say, yeah, well, we know the story. We know the gospel, but come on. Did, did that really happen the way you said it? The old man said, yeah, it did. Because I was the one that caught the rope. God's throwing you a lifeline this morning. He's saying, take hold of it. 
come into the boat. I have things for you that you cannot even imagine. A life together with me that you cannot fathom. Take hold of what I'm throwing you today. You don't have to leave this auditorium the same way you came in. Would you just stand with me? This is just a moment for you to do business with the Lord. You know, if you feel comfortable, just bow your head, close your eyes for a little bit. I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit's already showing you some of the things that he wants to deal with. It's not physical water. It's the living water of the King of Kings that you need. You know what's in your water pot. You know what's keeping you from moving on. So as Pastor Matt comes, I want to pray over you. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do his work. Lord, I just thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for this message. Thank you for your word that will not return void. It will accomplish everything you set forth to accomplish. So God, right now, just begin to illuminate the hearts of the people that are here. And what's keeping them back, the the insecurities that they're living in, the fear, the worry that they're living in, of the future and the past. Lord, do your work right now in their hearts. Take it away. Give them courage to drop that thing at your feet.